Father, once again, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is something in us that I think equates freedom in Christ with freedom from, I don't know, the trappings of all the things that might be connected to our walk with Christ. There's something in us that, that says, you know, I'm, I'm just following Jesus and, and all the things that the, the things that the church does and the traditions of the church and, and, and the, the parts of the church that, that are engaged in what we do in worship and other times, those things are fine, but there's a sense in which I, I sometimes feel like they confine me. And I want to break free from that. And I understand that. I suspect we all go through periods of time where we may feel that. But that's the interesting thing to me is that I think God created us to, to engage in the practices of his people. You look back at the creation story and the part of it we read today of the fourth day of how God creates the lights and the writer of Genesis says that God created the light to govern the day and the light to govern the night. And he made the moon, the stars. And, and, and a part of that is that he's saying he's separating, he's separating the, uh, the, the day so that now it's not all darkness. And now we have day and we have night. And when you do that, you not only create day and night, but you create time. And when you create time, you create things like hours and minutes and seconds. And you create days, and you create weeks, and you create months and years. And, and God creates the ability for us to mark time. And so the writer says that there are seasons. In fact, he says in one translation, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. But when you look at the, the NIV, which is a translation we read a few moments ago, it says, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And the word that's translated there has that sense of not just seasons, not just days, but really days with a purpose. Days that, that have a, a sacred purpose of worshiping God and understanding God. And I think that as creation, as God creates human beings and puts them into this earth, I think as God marks time for us, one of the things that he's doing is saying there is a way in which we worship God through his creative processes and through the way he has designed things. But of course, we corrupted that. And so that when, when Israel becomes a nation and God calls them out and he gives them the law, one of the things that God says to them is that you need to mark time but in a different way. There is a rhythm to life, but there's a rhythm to being God's people. And so God sets, has them set aside times every week and set aside times of weeks on end and times throughout the year that are special times. As one writer says, Israel's practice of rhythm isn't like all the nations around them based on the, the periodic cycle of nature, but on the historic events of God at work in the world. And it got, got at work for them. 
And so they celebrate Passover every year. And it becomes a special time for them to look back and to remember what God has done, for, what God did for them in coming out of Egypt. They celebrate the festival of harvest, not just because there is a harvest, but they celebrate the fact that God has given them a harvest. And God becomes the center of all of that. And when the church fathers began thinking about how they could help Christians understand the rhythm of what it means to be followers of Jesus, and they put together the church calendar, all of it is connected to Jesus. So Advent is preparation for the coming of Jesus, and Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation, the birth, the coming of Jesus into this world. And Epiphany is the revelation of the ministry of Jesus, not just to a select group of people, but to the whole world. And Lent is a time to remember the cross and the suffering of Jesus, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and Pentecost, as Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit to teach us about Jesus, and to call us to be his people, to be the church of Jesus. Every part of the calendar that we, that we celebrate throughout the year and we acknowledge throughout the year is intended to put us in the rhythm of thinking about Jesus and all the ways in which God has been at work in our world through Jesus. I know that many in the in the church have said, well, we're not really comfortable with the church calendar. We, it's really about another group of Christians that we don't really want to connect with, and so we're going to let them do that, and we're going we're to walk away from that because it feels confining, and it feels, it feels a little bit ritualistic. But I also find it fascinating that many of those same churches have no hesitancy to celebrate the secular calendar. Mother's Day, Father's Day, all those other events. And it's fine to celebrate those events, but not in lieu of the calendar that reminds us of who Jesus is. And so we do that. And it kind of gets into us, and we can begin to get the rhythm of our very lives, not just when we're at church, but all the time. It gets connected to that. I was reading a book a while back where it took place in the 1940s, and there was a, there was a, a cook of this rich family who was being interviewed about an event that had taken place and, and he talking about making the Christmas pudding every year. And she said, well, my mother always said that when we, when we got to the collect, the prayer uh, on that particular Sunday that said, stir up, O Lord, we beseech thee, she said that was the day when we knew it was time to go home and stir up the Christmas pudding. And you say, well, I'm not sure she's quite getting the point. But the reality is the church calendar was just, it was a part of her everyday life and existence. And I think there's something good about that. Now, you know, we can take anything, any of the practices of the church, and they can become ritualistic. They can become idols, like everything else. But the answer to that is not to say, well, let's not, let's not do any of the practices of the church. The answer to that is, let's not be idolaters. Right? Isn't that the answer? When Jesus talks about money and talks that we know that, that money can become an idol for us, but he doesn't say have nothing to do with money, don't earn money, don't give money, don't just stay away from it. He says, look, don't worship money. Talks about relation, relationships can become idols for us where they become more important to us than anything. But the scripture doesn't tell us don't have relationships. Relationships. 
It says just don't make relationships more important than God. Put them in the right context. And that's true of all the practices of the church. That, and there's nothing magical about them. It's not that we, if, that we do them, something happens that doesn't otherwise happen. But they are ways in which we connect with God. And we remember who God is. And the reality is, not practicing them doesn't necessarily lead us to maturity. In fact, I would argue that probably it's a tendency to move us toward self-interest. Because we move from all of the, the practices that make turn us God-focused to becoming self-focused. We have rhythms throughout our lives there's all kinds of rhythms that we practice that we don't even think that much about. Society is continually telling us these are the rhythms for how you, how you operate and, you, and you're successful in society. Things like if you want to be valued and respected and loved, you have to keep working harder and harder and harder. If you want to get things that you want, you have to complain and complain and complain. And you get them. The problem with the, with the rituals and the, and the practices of our society is that they continue to reinforce lies. Those practices tell us that we're only valuable to God if we can do something. We're only important to God if we can accomplish something. We are valuable and worth something if we have significance in this world and if we accomplish great things and if we're necessary the rituals of the church remind us God is always good. God is always faithful. God is always with us. We are loved. And we can trust him. I think part of our struggle is that we have become so enamored with relevance. I mean, there's something in us that says things have value only if they're relevant to me. And so we think that way about worship. I mean, I do. I wrestle with that. You know, if I, I, I come to worship or I go to worship someplace and I'm always thinking, so what did I get out of that? How did that speak to me? And I become the center of it. Because relevance, if relevance is our primary thing, then that means it's about us. It doesn't mean that things should be irrelevant, but that's not the primary focus. It, it, it's sort of what I would call a Spotify mindset. You know, when I was young, as would be the case with many of you, when, when you heard a song on the radio that you liked, you go to the record store, and you know, for a while there were 45s where they had a song on one side and one on the other, but those, those sort of disappeared. And so if you, if you found a song you liked, you went to the store and you bought the album. And if you wanted to hear that song over and over again, you, you had to buy the whole album that typically had 10 or 12 songs on it. And the thing that I discovered more often than not is that when I bought an album and I started listening to it, I bought it for the song I liked on the radio, but it wasn't very long before I realized, you know, there are other songs on that album that I like even better. Because I was exposed to them by having to buy the whole album. And Spotify is a music source that you pick and choose the songs you want. And so I know for myself, I go through songs that I like, and I just pick out the songs of that group that I like, and that song from that group, and that song from that group. And it's only the songs that I know I already like. And that's all I hear. 
And that can be enjoyable because I hear the songs I like, but I don't expand my horizons at all because it's just about me. And when we come together for worship, there ought to be some things about worship that expands our horizons a little bit, that reminds us that the church is bigger than us. There's more that God wants to do in us and teach us beyond just what might be comfortable for me. Because ultimately, worship is about focusing our attention on God. It's about coming to worship, and and all the practices of the church are intended to, to help us see God and understand God and give our attention to God and learn from God, to make Him the center. And yes, we can corrupt them, and yes, people have through the centuries corrupted them. We all know that's true. But the answer is not to throw them out. The answer is to check our hearts and to refocus our attention and to use them in the way they were intended. See, we have to keep we have to keep focusing on God and we need these things to focus on God because honestly, we don't have very good memories. There's a reason why one of the key words of the Old Testament is remember, 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 remember. Because we forget. We forget so easily, just as the Israelites forget so easily. Isn't it amazing to you? When I read the book of Exodus and Numbers, and the people of Egypt, uh, have come out of Egypt, and within just a few days, they're already saying, we were better off in Egypt. Things, life was better in Egypt. I think, wow. And then I realize the Holy Spirit says to me, you know, like, you haven't done similar things? We forget. And we need to be reminded. The other day I was looking through a box of books, and I came across a little book that I, my, I think my uncle gave it to me when I was 10 or 12 years old. It was called The World's Greatest Collection of Clean Jokes. I remember that summer traveling on vacation with my family and reading that whole book to my family of all these jokes. I'm surprised it still exists because I'm sure my sisters at some point would have tossed it out the window and it's lying on some interstate in Ohio or someplace because they got, they got sick and tired of hearing these jokes. Because quite frankly, some of them were funny. Some of them were corny. Some of them just groan when you hear them. And like the first one, when was Adam created? Just a little before Eve. I know, yeah. You just have to remember that that worked in 1970. You know, it was a simpler time. We were simpler people. You know, we, we weren't as sophisticated. But there's a whole section in that book about, about elephant jokes. Some of you will remember there was a period of time where we told elephant jokes. You know, just ludicrous things. That I don't know why, but we did. Like, how do you know the elephant's been in your refrigerator? You see his little footprints in the butter. Again, we were simpler people. Those were funny. I thought that was funny. I know. I still laugh about that sometimes. But one of those elephant jokes is this. What do you get when you mix peanut butter and elephants? You get either peanut butter that never forgets, because elephants are supposed to never forget, or an elephant that sticks to the roof of your mouth. Now, see, you're not going to forget that joke for a long time. You may do your best to try and forget that, but you will not be able to forget that. 
But the reality is, we don't have the memories of elephants, if elephants really have that kind of memory. We don't have those kind of memories. And so we need to be reminded again and again and again, and every Sunday we come for worship, to be reminded of who God is and who we are. Because we forget, and the messages that come at us from society are telling us things that are not true about God and about us and about the world. And we need to be reminded. That's why we read the scriptures. I, you know, I think one of the things about reading scripture that I have found so valuable, because we tend to gravitate toward the scriptures we like and know. One of the best things I think I've, I do is to periodically spend a year just reading the Bible through from beginning to end. And for some, you know, when you get into Leviticus and you get into numbers and start, you know, going through some of that, and it can get tough. But it's good for us. It's good for us to remember who God is and who we are and the word that he's given to us. We need to be reminded again and again and again because we forget that God is good. He's faithful. All the things God has done in the lives of his people through the ages. And if he's done it for the people through the ages, he's doing it for you and me. And it's not just about what's in the past. It's also about reminding us of what is coming in the future. That the day is coming when we will, we will celebrate the fullness of the kingdom. And all the promises of God will come true. And all the things we're doing now are in essence a, a rehearsal for us and a preparation for us for that day. And one of the things about that day is that we will get to the place where we will gather around in worship with people from every tribe and language and tongue and people group and nation, and we will all together worship God. I sometimes wonder if one of the most profound things we do is to sing. We sing together. We sing or join our voices together. Good voices, bad voices, it doesn't really matter. We join our voices together in singing the praises of God and the truths of God because the day is coming when we will spend a lot of time joining our voices with one another in praise of God. There is a connectedness to worship, a connectedness to the rituals and the practices of the church that we need. And we need to be reminded of that connectedness. That's why you know, we do calls to worship and sometimes they may seem mundane and that, you know, we're trying to figure out when to say our part and when not. But it's just the practice of doing that together, reciting the Lord's Prayer together, of, of sharing the prayer of confession together. And you may come some Sundays and say, why are we doing this? Those aren't any of my sins. But they're probably other people's sins. And I guarantee you, some days, some weeks, they are our sins. And other people may not be their sins, but we pray them together in unity of our worship of God. And we're building memories with each other. That's why when in baptism, give people a candle and tell them a year, every year on the anniversary of baptism, get that candle out, gather around you your family and friends. If you can convince them to make a cake or buy a cake and give you presents, that much better. Celebrate that day. 
Because it is one of the most important days of your life. And if we don't celebrate it, if we don't gather around and retell the stories of that day and why we were baptized and what it felt like to be baptized and all the events of that day, we will forget it. And someday we're going to be standing at a fork in the road. And on that moment, we're going to remember our baptism vows. And that event in our lives, and maybe remembering those baptism vows is going to cause us to choose the way of Christ as he's calling us to. Because it's just so implanted into us and real for us. We remember. I think one of the great tasks of the church is to help build and to create memory in our children so that as they grow and develop the things that they've been taught, the, the memory of things, that, of the truths of God are so important to them and are right in front of them. So nothing, anything thrills me more than have a parent come to me and say, you know, we, we, as we recite the Lord's Prayer together in church, my children are saying that. And sometimes I hear them say that when we're not in church. That's building memory in them. And sometimes I know the, the things that we do as the church may not make sense, and we may think, what's the point? That's the point. And one of the great practices of the church, of course, is the table of our Lord. Jesus says, every time you do this, remember. Remember what I've done for you. And remember, the day is coming when we will gather around the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember. Remember where you've been and where I've brought you. Remember who God is and give thanks. And that's what we're going to do today. In a few moments, we're going to eat and drink together. And when we do, remember, remember what God has done for us in Christ. And remember all of the promises of God in Christ that are yet to come. And celebrate.